Speaker Live Show from Podcast Movement in Chicago, episode 72 for July 8th, 2016. Well, welcome, and thank you for listening to the Speaker Live Show. I'm doing this show from uh, Podcast Movement, and my name is Rob Greenlee, and I'm the head of content at Spreaker. And um, this is the last day of the conference at the world's largest podcasting conference in uh, Chicago. This is the the, the last uh, segment from Podcast Movement that I'm going to do for the show. Um, this show is normally streamed live every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, from SpreakerLiveShow.com. We heard in um, all the all the normal uh, podcast listening applications, and even the Speaker Podcast Radio app for Android and iOS. So uh, I've got a terrific guest here that's uh, sitting at the desk here, actually on the floor at the exhibition at Podcast Movement, and his name is Brian Moffat. Hello, and he is the general manager of National Public Media, which is a division of uh, National Public Radio. That is and correct. Thank you very much for joining me. Happy Brian. to be here. It's great. So. Tell our audience a little bit about your uh, your thoughts of podcast movement and your experience so far. It is fantastic. This is my second. I was in, uh, was it Fort Worth last year? Hot still, yep. July, Fort Worth. And uh, it was kind of hot and wet here for a day or so. It is, it is hot, but it is fantastic. There is just uh, the energy level, I think, is even higher than it was last year, and it's tremendous to see all the excitement yeah. around the space. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, we're surrounded by people at the conference right now. They're all going into a to a session in here, and um, and there's like sixteen hundred people at the show. And and since this is the the, the last uh, segment that I'm doing, it's it's great to just kind of get your analysis. Have you attended some sessions? And I have. I haven't been able to make too many, but I have gone to quite a few, and I think it's okay. been great. I think the range of uh, content that people can get in the sessions is great. I don't care if you're uh, a small pos- podcaster just starting out, yeah. or if you're running a network, or if you're working at a network. You know, there's interesting things to learn and see here yeah. uh, across the board. Okay, and I think I mean I think that the makeup of the group of people that are at the event this year is really interesting. It's uh, it's really a cross section of the U.S. population. I think a lot of a lot of diversity, uh, a lot of men and women. A lot more so than I mean, you've been to a podcasting conferences oh, yeah. in the past, and yep. it's been dominated by men, you know. Yep. But it, things have changed. It definitely has. I mean, in several of the panels too, I've gone to quite a few of the panels on diversity. I've seen Nick Qua up on stage doing great things, talking yeah. in those panels. So it's it's really good to see. Yeah. So so let's let's kind of talk about public media and and what you're doing there. Uh, the part of uh, public radio that you're working in is around you know sponsorships and, and revenue for the for the organization, but you've been heavily involved in podcasting mm-hmm. since the very early days. We we worked together. What was it? Ten years ago now? Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. I was back in Washington D.C. and where we met in a meeting. I was back when I was working for Microsoft and soon, right. and um, it was exciting times back then. Yep. Yeah, I remember Maria Thomas. Uh huh. Bruce Melzer. Bruce Melzer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still hear from those those yep, two folks. Those were the. The, the two that really kind of uh, worked on this in right. very early days. That's right. So I remember it was like my second year at NPR where we were uh, you know, watching what was happening in podcasting, services like Odeo popping up, and yeah. uh, we decided to get into it. And uh, it was, I think it was 2006, I want to say, yeah. that NPR launched because it's been the 10-year anniversary yep. of NPR having yep. podcasts out in the market. Yeah, and back in those days, you know, I mean, Maria would fly out to Seattle, and I was living in Seattle, and okay. she would um, fly out to go go visit Microsoft and or go visit Real Networks at the time, and 
And she would stop by and we would have coffee together and we would talk about podcasting, of yeah. all things, back in the early days because NPR was trying to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a new medium mm-hmm. for them. Uh, they saw it as a perfect uh, dovetail to what they were doing on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, um, NPR has really has helped pioneer this medium. I think and, so. Uh, and make it so. what it is and, why, and, and make it somewhat different. Than radio. Even in the early days, I mean, a lot of what NPR did, does, and did then on the radio just translated very well. I mean, we had radio shows with large audiences, and we had people who had a real affinity to public radio and broadcasting. So to make that content, or at least some of that content, Mm -hmm. because we don't podcast all of our shows, we don't podcast our news magazines, but to just have that content out there, there was a ready audience for it already uh, in in public media. And I think that was then, that was 10 years ago. It's still true today, but I think what's so kind of nice to see and hard to see from the NPR perspective yeah. is the number of people who leave NPR to go out and forge their own road, like yeah. Alex and Gimlet, and yeah. there's a lot of people who are going doing that. It's it's actually not like there's a brain drain. It's the same amount of people. I think what's happening now is five or six years ago when you left NPR, you went to be a professor or, you know, to write a book. Yeah. Uh, but now, now you go you start, start your own company. company and yeah, it's like, right. oh my gosh, these people are starting companies and then it's very different now. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting what, what those companies are doing too because it's a little bit of a hybrid of public radio. It's, right. It's, it's not pure public radio that has to adhere to those those certain kind of advertising standards or no advertising actually I actually don't it, know it's if more it's sponsorship that. is it I mean, I mean is it I, think I mean or is it just the, the content so I think there's two things that, that definitely was an impact although a year or so ago NPR's changed its guidelines and we'll take a yeah. discounter and offer and a podcast credit yeah. we've got a very healthy podcasting sponsorship business now it's our fastest growing revenue line so I think what it is for the content side and the producers more was you know at NPR the the, the economy of public radio mm-hmm. and in large part circulates around Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Uh, you know, we have a large team of reporters and producers yeah. and editors. Uh, we have bureaus all around the world. They all contribute to these two massive daily programs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's definitely a lot of activity around podcasting. Always has been. It's increasing. But there's still this massive radio beast we have to feed and i think for a lot of the people who wanted to be creative and to do more in podcasting yeah. but had a day job yeah. as a reporter where they yeah. had to you know feed the beast they wanted to be able to break away from that so i think that's in some cases what happened is it's not the money or the, the advertising yeah. uh, i think it's more that they wanted the freedom to do just podcasting and do it the way they yeah. want okay so the the radio kind of segment was kind of um did they feel was somewhat holding them back or something? Was that part of it? or It, it I mean, could be the format. So when you're producing for a clock and a radio program, yeah. it's very different than yeah. the free-form yeah. nature of we're going to tell this story in as much time as is needed to tell yeah. this story. Yeah. But I think more, probably more, and I can't speak because I wasn't on the editorial side, but I'm thinking it's more about I want to spend more of my time doing that. But yeah. if I have to keep filing stories and you know doing yeah. my normal reporting job, it's hard to do what I'm enjoying in this yeah. space. I mean, and you guys have evolved what you guys are doing too. I know early on you, you guys were putting out podcasts that were like uh, clipped together yeah. segments, right? right? So you would have like a, like an environment podcast mm-hmm. and, it, and you would pull in clips from stories, right? That were right. talking about the environment and That's you right. would compile them together into a linear episode. Right. And, and I see that you guys have, uh, have 
taking those down. And they you guys actually are still exist. So Do if you're still... a subscriber to one of those original podcasts, you're still getting it. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, what we have done is... Oh, I thought is... that uh, you guys had kind of de-emphasized that. A couple of them have been cut off because they okay. didn't really have any audiences. Didn't but some of them have decent audiences. Do they really and why still? stop it if okay. there's people who like doing it? I think... That what we've decided to do is to stop spending time and effort supporting oh. and making things like that, ah, and instead spend our time change. and effort making original content yeah, original. or podcast specific okay. content that is you know, more fitting what the medium is today. Do you think that the the podcast side is starting to have a significant influence on the radio oh, absolutely. Uh, formats absolutely. and the radio concepts? Okay. I think Anya Grunman was on stage, and that, uh, I, I I didn't see her speech, but I've seen her speech about this several times. You know, we are learning a lot about how to produce great audio from yeah. podcasts and particularly platforms. Uh, if you look at the three podcasts that we've launched recently, embedded. Code Switch, Hidden Brain, uh, even season two of Invisibilia. Every single one of them is a vibrant podcast with hundreds of thousands or million in the case of Invisibilia listeners to every episode. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them contributes significantly to the news magazines of NPR. Uh, So a piece of the Invisibilia or an expanded segment from a portion of Invisibilia will air on Morning Edition. Yeah. Uh, Hidden Brain has a regular segment every week on Morning Edition. Yeah. So does Planet Money, for that yeah. matter, one of our oldest podcasts. So I think the content in the podcast is making its way into the radio uh, as much as the radio content is making its way into the podcast. Ah, okay. And I know recently you guys made a decision not to promote podcasts on, on air for sensitivity reasons with the radio affiliates, right? It uh, wasn't quite that. So this has been okay. much debated. So yeah. uh, I think the the main impetus of it, and Chris Turpin, our uh, vice president of content, has spoken at length about this. It's not that we're not allowed to talk about podcasts on the air or promote them. We do. And okay. if we're interviewing somebody who has a podcast, we mention that they have a podcast. Okay. For Shankar Vedantam, who does Hidden Brain, every week he closes and says, you know, and I also produce the podcast Hidden Brain. What we've stopped doing is specifically going through the mechanism of describing again to people how to go and subscribe to podcasts and where uh, okay that's the thing that was stopped uh, and largely it was just an editorial decision of we only have so much time, time to create to pr- content yeah. uh, yeah. and that i think there's an assumption and maybe it's incorrect and needs reviewed but i think the assumption is most people who know what a podcast is know where to get it so yeah. to constantly spend remind time, them a little spend bit time valuable that was really time, the right? point of it it wasn't okay. As much about yeah. stations and concerns yeah. there, because none of the things that we do as podcasts really impact stations in any way. We don't podcast morning edition. Yeah. You know, and like I said, a lot of the things we do as podcasts make it onto the news magazines and make them even more valuable. Yeah. So, would you tell us a little bit about the NPR One mm-hmm. uh, app that you guys have? I know yeah. you guys are trying to pioneer some some new discovery experiences, and yeah. and how's that going? And and are you promoting those on the air? Or promoting uh, that app on there. We air. will be shortly. We were for a while. We've kind of stopped because the app's been essentially, I would call it, in a beta state for about three years. Okay. Uh, we started with a couple of sets of assumptions. I think we've pivoted from those assumptions. I think originally the idea was, hey, this is pretty easy. It's Pandora model. We're going to put a bunch of content out, and we're going to have people thumb up, thumb down. We're going to see if they skip, and we're going to mm-hmm. tweak their algorithm so that they get content. What we found is... That worked, but it didn't engage users that much. The goal with NPR One was to have something like radio. For radio, people listen for an hour in a session. It's long. Mm -hmm. In the early days of NPR One, it was 10 minutes. 
Okay. So something wasn't working. So we then stepped back and said, all right, so why doesn't this sound like radio? Why isn't it capturing people? Yeah. And we found that you can't really do it by algorithm. So we've got a whole team of people. I think you know Sarah Saracen. Uh-huh. She is the managing uh, director yep. for NPR One. She's yep. an editorial person. She has producers. They work very carefully on creating we call them flows of listening experience so that you get the right amount of things in your listening experience. So in any given day, there might be a dozen different flows that are kind of programmed out there. So is it, it's programmed by, by the programmers by at, at NPR. That's right. So it's not controlled necessarily by the listener. Can they... It is controlled by the listener. Based on the what they like and what they Is something dislike. put together by uh, a human. Ah, and I, then as people... Kind of, kind of adjusted themselves. Yeah. Right. We can tweak that, but okay. we found that the more people tweak, the shorter their listening times. So the real ideal is hmm. they don't tweak because that means you've done your job and you're giving them what they oh, want. Okay. So a little bit of input is good, but when we really do our job well, it's that people don't thumb up, skip, or anything. So do they do they do that for a while until the app learns about what their preferences are, and then it's really more of a lean-back experience for them? Yeah, and I think our ideal scenario is that there's very little of it necessary. Okay, uh, as but, a, but there's a little bit that you have to have that's right. in order to, to get those signals right. to help them get that. It's risky, okay. though. I had someone I was talking to today who uh, was talking about NPR One, and they're like, you know what? I don't do the like, and I don't skip because I worry that just because I'm not in the mood to listen to that today, I might be in I'll the never get it again. Oh, so I sure. think there's mindset like that. So we don't really take those signals uh, until we have a lot of signals. So if people like consistently skip the same thing, then we'll start tweaking the flows. Um, uh-huh. And that has proved to work because that means we're finding that when we do it that way, people listen longer. The listening time in NPR One now is over 45 minutes. So, so it's getting close to radio. So the, the app, and I've, I, I've used the app too, there's really only one pathway, right? I mean, you load the app. That is no longer true. So That's that no longer was true. The true. Now there is a swipe to the right and so, there's an explosion. There's the Explore, so you can find those those you can find playlists podcasts in there. Podcasts in there, like a playlist find, of podcasts, uh, or just or, we, podcasts that we're promoting, ah, uh, and not ours, okay. only other people's podcasts okay. as well. It's not a podcasting client, so there isn't like a directory to browse. But there's hundreds of podcasts in there. You can search for ones that you you're can search. For. So it is discoverable. There's a lot I mean, in there. I, if but you not know everything. the the name of the podcast, you can you can, you find, can it. find it if it's in there. But if you look at it by each of those those like genres, we don't. Have, you can't look by genre. You can't look so by it's, genres. It's, it was very explicitly designed to not be a traditional podcast app because yeah. I think the 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 belief inside NPR is that for people who know podcasts, they already got their app. They like it. They use it to try to. And they probably the already real. like the shows or know exactly. the shows that they like anyway. Right? We want people who yeah. have been afraid to come to it, or yeah. maybe didn't want to put in the effort. And our theory is that if you make it simpler and you just expose some things to people and let them listen and learn what they like, it's it'll work. So that's the experiment we're doing. Do you see the the podcasting space and consumption of users shifting more towards streaming, or will download always be a big part? I think what is the latest Edison stat is almost 80% of people essentially are hitting play and listening to it in a progressive download manner. I think that's actually going to continue and, and or, probably grow. Or do you see true streaming technology taking a stronger play here? I don't think it has to. I mean, I think that the, the mechanisms we have now with everybody having a pretty good connection over okay. uh, cellular, you don't okay. need to revert to that. The, the MP3s are just good. They're fine. So is there any reason to, to use real streaming technology for metrics reasons? 
It you would think? be nice. I think that's that's more a matter of owning the platform where the listening is happening. Yeah. Uh, so that's a nice thing to have. I mean, we love that in NPR One. Which you guys have see. that with NPR One. That, that was kind of where I was coming at it from. Was, right. Was uh, as you guys own more of the consumption. I mean, do you see that as a challenge to the local affiliates, though? I mean, is there no. a concern there? I don't think so. And I think that's one thing NPR has been working very hard on for the past couple of years. The idea was to replicate the business model that we have on okay. the radio in this app. So the ideal experience is a local national mix of content. Uh, okay. When you fire it up, you're geographically located yeah, to the station so it's, nearest you. Okay, okay. so it presents the option of listening right. to the local affiliates. That's right. It really encourages because what yeah. we find is when users listen to local content in a session, mm-hmm. their listening times are much longer than when they don't and they just get national content. So mm-hmm. the local national is kind of the secret to NPR on the radio and always has been, yeah. and it's the secret to success in NPR One. Okay. So we're also extending the business model around sponsorship so the uh-huh. stations can have a share of the inventory. Uh-huh. That there are mechanisms for stations to become members or to pledge or support a station in the app. So yeah. it's very much designed to be not a threat yeah. and and more of a replication in digital of the model we have had for three decades. Yeah. Where does um, live streaming live in your ecosystem right now? Where do you see that that moving to? I mean, if I look at um, the the stats on Spreaker, which mm. is a combination of on demand podcasting and live streaming, so mm. a lot of the shows are live streaming. We find in our our numbers that. The, when a person listens to a show live, they actually listen longer than yes. when they, they listen to it on demand. Is that what you find Definitely. with that as well? We have two. So we have another app, NPR News, which yeah. is our old app. We've had that for quite a long time. Uh, we've had that for almost, I'd say, six or seven years now. And that app, uh, the predominant listening experience is choosing a station stream and listening to that stream. And, yes, yeah. the session durations are very long. The yeah. idea behind NPR One was to create an experience that is that combined local, national, yeah. with a little control on the user's side uh, and more on-demand content yeah. in an experience that sounds like radio to get the listening to the same length. And yeah. I think we're finally there, so we're pretty much ready to kick NPR One out the door in a big way. So I think you guys are maybe sitting in a really great position to kind of pioneer near um, local podcasting. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this a lot here over the last couple of years around. Um, I believe the future is going to have a strong local presence mm-hmm. uh, in podcasting. It's just going to take five or six years to get there. But mm-hmm. but I see with your local affiliates, they're, they're going to start feeling pressure to produce more local content, I would imagine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's available as podcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you see, you know, you guys' pioneering efforts kind of transitioning over to the commercial radio? Are we going to see the radio side kind of pioneer local podcast content to really create that local connection for podcasting? Or is it still too early? Is the audience not there yet for it, do you think? I think the audience is there, and I actually think commercial radio, to a degree, is doing that. I think you've got CBS and others there. I mean, what they're doing essentially is making podcasts of the shows, podcast versions. And I mean, that's great. That's what NPR did 10 years ago, and that's what a lot of people do, and that's a great way for people to time shift. But I think the real success will come when they make the original content that is fitting for the platform and the audience. Uh, And there's some stations in public radio that are starting to do that, and I think commercial will follow too. Because, I mean, it feels like, um, you know, local radio has it's been the mainstay. That's that's where all the revenue has been. That, that that's where the audience has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. But podcasting is a global national medium mm-hmm. today, and so that that jump, you know. I've, I've worked with a lot of podcasters that have tried to create local programs. So let's say it's, you know, a former radio station 
uh, DJ or a host or whatever starts a podcast and he he tries to do the same show mm-hmm. in a local market, right? Mm-hmm. In a, let's say Seattle or Washington D.C. or something like that. And he, he always invariably winds up going back to a national focus. I mean, right. he, he starts out talking about local stuff. He doesn't build an audience, and he winds up reverting back again. Um, I just wonder, I mean, how long do you think it's going to take before we can see that those type of shows be successful in local markets? I think there's probably two things. One is, I think, you know, people will at some point need to realize that you don't need to be serial to have a connection to your audience. You know, yeah. you don't need 100,000 or a million people to have a, an audience. You can yeah. have an audience of 2,000 yeah. yeah. engaged people, and that's very valuable, and that's yeah. very good as a content creator. Yeah. The second thing is the money. So, you know, I sit in a seat where we're in a big, high-volume business, and, you know, I really wouldn't know what to do with a podcast that has 20,000 downloads, but I think there will be people who emerge. As, as low, as the low end of the spectrum, right? I mean, you're used to working with shows that are, are at what kind of scale? 100,000 up. 100,000 Per up. episode. Download so per episode. So, if a show has less than that, mm-hmm. what, what happens to that show? Does it still live on? or I think that the infrastructure on the advertising or sponsorship side just isn't there yet to support that. Okay. Just like with websites, yeah. it wasn't there until AdWords came out and you know the different ways of making uh, money for people in the space. I yeah. think that's going to happen. Yeah. I think uh, we just uh, inked a deal with AdsWiz. So they're a big podcast ad server. A lot yep. of public radio stations use them. We a work with AdsWiz too. Yep. So... Uh, they've created a network called PodWave, where if, if you're a podcaster and you have unsold inventory, you can flow it over into this network that our team will sell. And we'll sell it by channel, so we're not selling individual podcasts because of the scale problem. But if I aggregate 100, 200 podcasts together into a sports category, yeah. I can then go out and talk to the people who want to spend six figures to sponsor sports podcasts. Mm. So I think that's one step that I hope. We, we, we have high hopes that it's a good way to bring money into the smaller niche podcasts and have very valuable audiences, oh. but the advertisers don't at have smaller the scale. to serve. At, right. at, at, at smaller scale. So that's right. where, where do you see that, 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 that break point is? I mean, is it, do, you, do you see in the future a possibility that a show with 2,000 downloads can monetize? So they will, and I'll be able to monetize. And the problem is, they're it's not, not going to make much a lot money. Of money. They're not going to make any CBS. money. Yeah. So we said this in the panel in there today. I think if you are the, I, I talked to somebody today who said they talked to a dentist who wanted to make a podcast for dentists, yeah. and you know he could probably have a very successful podcast yeah. with three or four thousand subscribers. And if I were a dental equipment company, I would probably pay a lot of money. But Midroll's not talking to that company. I'm not no. talking to that. So they have to do it themselves. Yeah. You've got to pick up the phone, ring the phone, and say, I have a podcast. I've got thousands of dentists. Uh, let's work together to get your message out. So how do you guys think of um, the the entry of uh, Spotify and um, and Google Play to, to the space? And uh, how, enthused, how the, enthused, very enthused. Okay. Is there any concerns around uh, how they're, they're doing it, around uh, caching and redistributing? Not really. Uh, you know, I think we've... Uh, we're talking to them all and so far what we hear is they'll be able to provide us with enough metrics to make our business model work okay. so that when we have a mid-roll that's baked in yeah. uh, and I think there's an asterisk there that it really only works when you're baking in the mid-rolls because there's no way to dynamically insert yeah. we can add that audience to our other 
distribution platforms and we can charge. So I think that that's fine. I think what I'm intrigued by is uh, I think they have such a huge user base and they're very selective about who they're putting in. I think that they are going to be able to take podcasts that were big and maybe make them very, very big just by promoting them to their, what is it, 85 million users. Yeah. So, you know, if, if 10% of their users listen to a podcast, it's as big as Serial. Yeah. You know, that's only 10%. Well, I think, I mean, I, I agree 100%. I think the, the, the opportunity is growing the, the audience. And, and yeah, I had both Google and Spotify in my panel uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think they, they do bring that scale that, that we need for podcasting to, to grow this. Um, I'm a little concerned about how they're approaching it and how fast they're approaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Spotify is trying to be very thoughtful about what they're doing there. It, do you see any issue with you guys um, distributing your content in those platforms at all? I mean, any concerns? It's a business negotiation. You know, okay. I think that's kind of where NPR is that this is. Uh, uh, it's probably not much, not unlike TV distribution. Once you, th- you have content that you know a lot of people want, uh, you start yeah. to look at where you want to distribute that content, yeah. where it makes business sense to distribute yeah. that content. Do you think that those guys are going to be looking at uh, maybe figuring out a way to monetize what they're doing with podcasts? I believe they already are. I mean, I've heard that. So uh, that they, they, they have plans to introduce an advertising-supported model where podcasters can let them sell their content and earn a revenue share. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong, but I heard that. Selling premium content, right? Right. Yeah. Not, right. not so much the advertising business per se. No, selling advertising. Yeah. Oh, selling advertising. Yeah. I mean, Google, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Google is an advertising company. I mm-hmm. mean, that's what they do. I mean, that's not something we would ever allow. So we never allow anybody to sell against NPR content. Uh, and I think that, that I mean that, that's where I'm leading with this question is that, that there is a certain segment of the of the major publishers in podcasting that are are concerned about Google Play and Spotify and their models of the redistribution. There mm-hmm. was a there was concerns over a long period of time with Stitcher too. Mm-hmm. Stitcher mm-hmm. was doing the same thing, mm-hmm. and um, and I know that both those companies realize that it's an issue, and they're doing it for technological reasons, not mm-hmm. probably entirely business reasons at mm-hmm. this point. But I don't know. You know, there right. could be could be an agenda here where they they want to sell advertising against this content, which yeah, I, I think which that- changes some things. Well, and it makes publishers like us take a hard look at, does it make sense? Is it helpful? Is it letting me grow my revenue? Or yeah. is it making me limit yeah. what I could have gotten? Yeah, that? and also, I mean, if if they, they don't comply with your business models, you may not distribute your program through, right. through them as well. Right. And I think we've seen some of that happen already. Yeah, the nice thing I think they have in their court that Stitcher didn't at the time uh, is that they've got a lot of people coming to their service for something else. And yeah. if they, I mean, the theory is, if in my belief, if we can keep them in our app when they're in the mood to listen to a podcast, yeah. that's good for Spotify or yeah. Google because then you don't close that app and open a different one, and they're yeah. in there longer, and they learn yeah. more about the user, so that's very valuable. Yeah, and they're, Spotify, or, or not Spotify, but Stitcher has been enabling pass-through. Mm-hmm. You know, and Spreaker's doing that as well. We, we mainly distribute the shows that are hosted on our platform. Yeah, and that's our preference. Through our apps, but but we have pass-through capabilities, so any any you know NPR program that's part of our listening app experience is a straight pass-through. You guys get all the credit for those numbers. Right. And we can see it. We understand what happened. Yeah, exactly. And th- there's no numbers that you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think that's the key, and that's what I'm hoping that, that we'll see with Spotify and Google mm-hmm. is that there will be some publishers that they will like basically – 
turn a switch to say this this show because they use dynamic insertion or those kind of technologies need to be enabled to be passed throughs. Right. I mean, I think I understand their concerns. They want a good experience. They don't want they buffering. They want to control it. But you know, but I talked to them about that. I talked to both of the companies about that, and and I think um, they trust the the CDNs that are delivered from the the um, the major hosting platforms mm-hmm. to deliver a consistent quality experience. Right. Um, now, if those shows are hosted on, you know, um, like GoDaddy or something like that, mm-hmm. that are, isn't a CDN that, that, that is reputable mm-hmm. for delivering podcasts, then they have some concerns. I think they have some valid concerns. Right. Um, but but I, that's what I'm hoping for, and I'm sure that's what you're hoping for That's what for we're hoping well. for, too. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been talking to them, and that's what we've said as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. that day. I, I definitely got the impression of talking with them that they've, they're tired <laughs> of hearing about it, actually. <laughs> And I, so, so I don't think we need to harp on them anymore about this, but but it is a concern in the industry, yeah. and and not everybody's concerned about it, but right. but the the subset of guys that are concerned about dynamic insertion, yeah, you learn a lot when you see the transaction. That's what we learned with NPR One. I mean, and not even yeah. uh, from a, a money perspective, but just from a content perspective. I mean, yeah. we A/B test content in NPR One. Our producers have a whole new understanding of where people are dropping out in stories yeah. or segments that they can use to improve their te- their craft. Yeah. So I have to ask you: Is uh, is podcast metrics the wild wild west? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I believe it is uh, getting better, but I think there's still a lot of different ways to to do it. Yeah. Not to say one's better than the other; they're just different, and that yeah. is a a difficult spot for brand advertisers. You know, I think any any reputable company who's yeah. been around, I trust their metrics. We use PodTrack; I trust their metrics. I'm sure Todd's company, Blueberry, they know what they're yep. doing. They've been around as long as we have. Yep. It's just that everybody does it a little bit different. Every, and for for an, a, a big brand advertiser who wants yep. to commit a half a million or a million dollars, they kind of want to understand that it's the yeah. same everywhere. It's the same on any medium. Yeah, and I think we're getting close to that. The, the IAB is about to announce some guidelines. Mm-hmm. Is Rena from IAB clarify with me? Because I, I, I use that word standard, yep. and she cringed. She was, you, know, you can't use that word. Right. It's a guideline. It's a guideline. That's right. Because it is a... It, it is a um, a guideline that needs to be adopted mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. There is not going to be any certification, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's going to be a, a volunteer compliance. I haven't heard of the MRC coming in and accrediting. And it's anyone. very, very expensive to be part of the MRC anyway. I don't right. know that it, too many of the companies in, in the podcasting space will be willing to pay the, the huge fee to, mm-hmm. to get involved in that. Um, it, it's it's but, not really an issue i mean we we sell a lot of sponsorship in our podcast yeah. we've been doing it for a long time there's a lot of questions a lot of what we do is educate the buyers and the agencies what happens what metrics you're going to get what those metrics mean it hasn't been a barrier to a lot of money coming in to invest in the platform yeah no it, it certainly hasn't so when the the new ieb specs come out um will npr and your hosting platforms do you believe kind of kind of adhere to that as the yeah, baseline we're, we're a member of the ieb working yep. group so we're okay. heavily involved public media all got together and I think they created a standard that made sense for public media which I don't think the IAB is going to be all that far from no so. I think I, I think based on the, the specifications that you guys put out mm-hmm. um, what six months ago mm-hmm. or something like that um, you know I'm sure that you guys wanted to kind of get something going for your organization and that's that's why that happened right um, and and that that you'll adjust mm-hmm. it's probably a minor adjustment I would yes. think yes 
And we actually had a fairly major adjustment when we moved to the public media guidelines. So we, we saw yeah. our numbers drop pretty significantly because we changed that methodology to yeah. the, the public media one. Yeah. So I think that was the haircut. I don't think there's another big one coming. <laughs> it's it's going to be easier from here, right? right. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, well, Brian, thank you so much for spending 30 minutes with me on the, on the Speaker Live show. I know we've dove into a lot of uh, geeky topics on the podcasting that probably a lot of people, you know, you know, but, but I think it's uh, helpful to, yeah. to get this out there and have this kind of conversations about the, some of the leading topics and issues amongst the podcast space. So I appreciate you coming out and doing this. Thank Thanks. you so much. The opportunity. Let's do it again in a year and see if the stuff we talked about. Well, comes I wanted through. to do it. I want to do it every few months. <laughs> this, is a, this is a, this is a fast moving space. I got to get you on the the new media show too. It's so not on the weekends. That's tough. Yeah, yeah I know. Kids. I know. I got you know, <laughs> somehow. Somehow, I got, got got to convince my co-host to to do it on on Monday or something. Do so. it over the lunch hour on a weekday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can do that. So, well, well, Brian, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Rob. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to the Speaker Live Show. This is the the, the last uh, episode from Podcast Movement. Thank you so much for listening to. All my, I think I have like 10 or 11 uh, episodes that I've done over the last couple days. So uh, thank you. And come back and listen to the Speaker Live show um, next week. I, I sh- hopefully, I think I have an episode next Wednesday if I'm not burned out from doing 10 or 11 episodes this week. So um, take care and thank you very much.